And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Welcome to this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. This program is dedicated to going out to the highways and hedges and compelling people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Join your host, Tony Miano, and his team of street fishermen as they find people on the streets with whom to share the gospel. No scripts, no planning, no preparation. Just impromptu gospel conversations with random people out there in a world in desperate need of the Savior. So, until the nets are full, let's go fishing. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it might be, wherever you may find yourself. Welcome to another edition of The Street Fishing Podcast. I am your host, Tony Miano, and today we are going to go back in time, uh, about three years, and to a place, Charlottesville, Virginia. In August of that year, neo-Nazis and white supremacists gathered uh, in a park in Charlottesville to protest the proposed removal of a statue of Robert E. Lee. There was a counter-protest that also formed, and the two sides clashed uh, even violently. On August 12th of 2017, a man by the name of James Alex Fields Jr. uh, deliberately drove his car into a crowd of people, a crowd of counter-protesters, and in doing so, uh, several people were injured, and a young lady, 32 years old, uh, by the name of Heather Heyer, uh, was tragically killed. She was murdered uh, by this man. Uh, He would subsequently be sentenced to uh, life in prison for that murder and a slew of of other charges. And when I heard about this event and heard about the death of Heather Heyer, uh, I was compelled to go to my pastors and say, hey, I want to I want to drive out to Virginia from Davenport, Iowa. I want to drive out to Virginia and I want to bring the gospel in the midst of that chaos, in the gospel in the midst of a community that is reeling from such a violent act. And uh, I praise God for my pastors. They said, yes, go. Uh, I took my son-in-law, Donnie, with me, uh, who's also a member of our church here at Grace Fellowship in Davenport, Iowa. Contacted a few other brothers, including Bobby McCreary from the uh, Douglasville, Georgia area. And we all converged on Charlottesville, Virginia, where we spent a few days of uh, ministry, open-air preaching, uh, crosswalking, engaging people in conversation, some sign evangelism. And it was a very, very profitable time of ministry. As the Lord would have it, uh, one of the people we would meet was Heather Heyer's father. Now, there were people there who were upset that we were there, Uh, believing that the gospel had no place as people were grieving and mourning at uh, makeshift memorials uh, in the area where Heather was killed. But uh, one person among many who thanked us for being there was Heather Heyer's dad. Uh, He was glad that we were there proclaiming the gospel in the aftermath of his daughter's tragic death. Well, one of the conversations I had was with a young lady named Jenkins. Uh, Jenkins was a blue-haired, chain-smoking practitioner of some of the sins that is at the basis of what is known as LGBTQism. Uh, Jenkins and I talked for about 30 minutes. You're going to hear the entirety 
of that conversation. And in that conversation, you're going to hear something called presuppositional apologetics. Now, let me take just a moment, and for those of you who aren't familiar with that term or what that discipline is, I'm going to read from an article by Matt Slick uh, of the uh, Christian Apologetic Research Ministry, CARM, C-A-R-M dot org. Find website to learn about uh, various religions and Christian doctrine, uh, as well as apologetics. Uh, Matt's been at this for many, many years. So here's what Matt writes. This form of Christian apologetics deals with presuppositions. A presupposition is an assumption that is taken for granted. A Christian presuppositionalist presupposes God's existence and argues from that perspective to show the validity of Christian theism. Uh, this position also presupposes the truth of the Christian scriptures and relies on the validity and power of the gospel to change lives. From the scriptures, we see that the unbeliever is sinful in his mind and unable to understand spiritual things. This means no matter how convincing the evidence or good the logic, an unbeliever cannot come to the faith because his fallen nature will distort how he perceives the truth. The only thing that can ultimately change him is regeneration. To this end, the presuppositionalist seeks to change a person's presuppositions to be in conformity with biblical revelation. Nevertheless, when using presuppositional apologetics, things fall into place rather nicely. You could consider presuppositional apologetics to be a kind of theory that you assume in order to explain the world around us. If you presuppose God's existence, then the world makes sense. You could then explain how we came to be, how there can be absolute laws of morality, and why rationality is what it is. The Christian presuppositionalist deals with these issues and others very effectively. And furthermore, when we presuppose the validity of Scripture, we are using the power of the Word of God in our discussions. Presuppositional apologetics differs from classical apologetics in that presuppositional apologetics rejects the validity of traditional proofs for the existence of God. A pure presuppositionalist tackles the worldview of a person and seeks to change the very foundation of how a person perceives facts. Adherents, practitioners of, of this discipline, presuppositional apologetics, include people like Cornelius Van Til, Abraham Kuyper, Greg Bonson, and John Frame. And a good friend of mine by the name of Cy Ten Bruggenkate, you can find more information about Cy at proofthatgodexists.org, proofthatgodexists.org. Uh, Cy has really done a, a great deal of work to introduce presuppositional apologetics to common Christians like me. He takes those cookies, so to speak, off the top shelf where Van Til and Bonson and Frame have placed them, and he moves them to a lower shelf so that guys like me can understand it, apply it, and uh, use it, I think, effectively in evangelistic ministry. So you are going to hear some of that, uh, maybe even a lot of that, in my conversation with Jenkins as I challenge her worldview, challenge her her own presuppositions about the world and truth and what have you. This was really a wonderful conversation uh, with Jenkins, probably the best conversation I've ever had with someone who identifies 
uh, with LGBTQ. So let's take a listen now to this conversation with Jenkins. And uh, when we're done, we will spend a few minutes chalk-talking the conversation where I'll point out in more detail some of the presuppositional apologetics that went on and some of the interesting things that Jenkins says. Here's my conversation with Jenkins. Yeah, I, uh, I go out there and I make sure that, uh, you know, when I'm outside the front of the station, I, I turn around and face the station, face their cameras that are yeah. their perimeter cameras, let them know what the sign says, yep. you know. And then I, How are hi, you? can I help you? Said stop and talk. I was interested what we were talking about. Well, we're talking about uh, spiritual things. We're talking about the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Uh, My name's Tony, by the way. Hi, I'm Jenkins. Hi, Jenkins. Nice to meet you. What denomination are y'all? Well, I'm a Reformed Baptist. I don't know what uh, denomination is your church. Yeah. Yeah, we we come from different churches, different parts of the country. What about him? He is, uh, I'm not sure what church he's from. He goes to church about a half hour from here. I'm from Davenport, Iowa. Oh, cool. Uh, What brings you down here? The tragedy that happened last week. Uh, Hoping to bring some hope and peace. and. Well, no, of course not. Yeah. No, what happened here was what happened here was terrorism. It was. It was. No, what happened here was a vicious a crime, vicious crime. Mm-hmm. No, you, no, we're we're here to preach the good news of peace, love, forgiveness, and hope through Jesus Christ. Oh, that's pretty honorable. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Uh, I believe that there is something, but I don't believe that any of us really know what it is. It's just something that is inherently within yes, the universe sir. that controls. Why is now, Tony Perkins are focused on the family? James Dobson says nothing more, about what happened. Uh, um, you know, to, to make the I'm sorry, Jenkins, right? To make the assertion that that nobody knows, wouldn't wouldn't you have to have all knowledge to know that nobody knows? And that's not, I'm not making an argument. I'm just I trying know. to follow your line of thinking. Yeah, well, the way that but I for think me to, it, for me that... to assert that you don't know anything would mean that I would have to have perfect knowledge about what's going on inside your head. True. Right? And I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying that I'm spiritual, but I prefer to think that whatever the greater universe is, we should not necessarily name it. Okay. For not all of us are correct, let's say that. Okay. Um, do you, th- this is not a trick question. What do you what do you think is more important? What we believe or whether or not what we believe is true? I'd say it's more of what we believe. If our belief is in our faith, then we shouldn't have to prove ourselves, right? Well yeah, it's not about not about proving ourselves, but but ultimately truth isn't determined by what we believe. For instance, I could believe I'm a millionaire. My bank says I have thirty five cents in my account. Like me. Am I a millionaire? No. no. Do, well, no. no. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I believe is in my bank account. What actually matters is the truth about what is in my bank account. Right. So I'm not a millionaire. I'm a guy who has 35 cents in the bank. Right. So in the end, what matters, what matters ultimately is, do we understand the truth? So, so for you, Jenkins, how do you determine what's true? It's been getting kind of shaky lately. Okay. 
In general, what I can see, what I can perceive, I appreciate above all else, but you know, things I can't explain are things I can't explain. Okay. I can look into all I want, but I believe in hypotheses above anything else. Okay. Now, based on what you just presented to me, you're, it sounds like you're relying on your ability to reason to determine what's true. Yeah, but reasoning only takes you so far. Okay. Yeah, and, and so my next question would be, how does Jenkins know that her reasoning is valid? I don't. Hmm. But, yet you, but yet, Jenkins is standing here in front of me, and Jenkins is reasoning. We're having a reasonable conversation. You're putting center sentences together. You're thinking. You're sharing thoughts. Yeah, I'm kind so, of surprised about that, actually. I've been up for 48 hours, but... Okay, well, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah certainly uh, sleep deprivation can affect our ability to reason. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But... I'm having an intelligent conversation with an intelligent human being who has the ability to reason, okay? So, what I would proffer to you, what I would offer to you is that the reason that Jenkins knows that her ability to reason is valid is the same, thing, same reason I know that I have the ability to reason and that my reasoning is valid. And, and that we're both not just living in the matrix or something like that. Right. And that's because you and I were created by the same God. Right. The God who created us gave us the ability to reason. See? I'm still listening. Though. Yeah, no, no, I, no, I understand. I don't I just, like littering. No, that's okay. That's all right. That's all right. Sure. So there, there's, this, um, there's this idea of infinite regress. And it, and it goes something like this. If I were to assert, if you were to assert to me that you know A, whatever A is, I would ask, how do you know A? And you would say to me, well, B. I know A because B. Well, how do you know B? Well, then you're going to have to go to C and so on. We can do that in, for infinity and never come to a point where we can ever get off that train. We're always saying, I believe A because of B, I believe B because of C. And that's what a person does who does not start with the presupposition that God is and he has given me the ability to reason. Whereas in my Christian worldview, if you were to ask me, for instance, how do you know that God exists? Well, I know that God exists because he has revealed himself in creation. He has given me a conscience, the ability to know right from wrong. He has given me his revelation through his word. And so I can assert without going to B, C, D, or E that I know God exists. Because I begin with the presupposition that God exists. And what the Bible tells all of us is that all of us know that God exists. We, we know that it's not a higher power. Um, kids upset. I have a question. Sure, go right ahead. Completely unrelated. Sure. I, I, see, I see where you're getting at. Okay, I'm not going to ask about the body cams because it's completely justified with the high tensions that are going on. Sure. Um, but what I was going to ask is, what is your personal beliefs as a Christian about the LGBT community, just out of curiosity? Okay. Yeah. My, my belief about the LBGT community is that I should love them. And let me explain why. And, and, this is how I, and this is how I justify that according to my worldview. The two greatest commandments that God has given the Christian, and all men really, yeah. 
is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Yeah. I'm just no, always curious, sure. you know, because it switches from person to person. I always like to know. That was a run-in with the Mormons once. Well, oh look, any, yeah. <laughs> anybody, I mean, the Bible, makes, the Bible makes it very clear. Anybody yeah. who asserts that they do not love a particular person does not know God because God is love. So now, let me ask you... So a, you're in New Testament, I assume? Old and new. It's the same God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But same I mean, God. Like you follow the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Right, yeah. All of the Bible is God's Word. Now, I also understand that there were aspects of the Old Testament that were written for a particular people group at a particular time. For instance, I don't have to worry about mixing my fabrics. I don't. I, I, don't, I don't have to worry... Um, I don't have to worry about, you know, plowing up my field on a certain year or something like that. I don't have to worry about those things because those sundry laws, those dietary laws, I don't have to worry about eating shellfish, right? Because those laws were given to a particular per people at a particular time. In fact, Jesus would go so far as to say, kill, eat. Not, it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean. It's what comes out of a person's heart that shows that they are unclean. So, now let me ask you a question about the LGBT community, okay? Do you believe that I hate people in the LGBT community if I tell them that I believe sexual immorality is a sin? I don't believe you hate them, but I believe that it's somewhat of a misguided way to look at stuff. Okay, on that I would ask you, what is your authority for saying that it's misguided? That would apply to me and, and everybody else in the world. Because it hurts to hear. Okay. I, I understand that it, could, that it could be hurtful to hear that. Yeah, I understand that. And I, I went and got food and didn't me. Sorry, I was That's all right. on a mission. That's all right. But, again, what is your authority, though, that says that, universally speaking, to say that sexual immorality of any kind... Heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, okay, okay. transsexual. Sexual immorality meaning what exactly? Okay, sexual immorality as defined by God, that which is contrary to His word and His will. Right. Okay. Can so, you give examples? Well, yes, basically everything in the LBGT community. Yes. Why is that exactly? Well, because God has determined the what sexuality is. God has determined what sex sexuality is for. God has determined the boundaries for sexuality and any and anything that goes outside of those boundaries is sin in God's eyes because it's a violation of his law and his will see what I provided for you just now wasn't my arbitrary opinion and it is a standard that can be applied universally because God is the universal source of truth whereas when you say to me well, it's wrong because it's hurtful to some people. While I don't deny the truth of that, that's not a standard that is universal and applicable to everybody. That, that is uh, your predetermined standard for you. Let, let me give you another, another example. You and I, I, we've just met, but I think I can assert with full confidence that you and I believe what happened on this street last Saturday was wicked, evil, and should not happen. Okay. So I want to make sure I assert to you that you and I are on the same page. What happened here was a terrorist act, no different than what happened in Barcelona just a day ago. Yeah. 
Okay? So that's my heart. That's what I believe. Okay? And again, I'm applying to a universal standard because God says in his word, whoever hates another human being is a murderer. That's his standard. Okay? But let's say, let's say that that I was part of this white supremacist nonsense, hateful, godless vitriol. And I asserted to you that I believe what happened here last weekend was good and appropriate. Would I be right? No. No. And I agree with you. 100% I agree with you. But what is your standard to say that that is wrong? And remember, no argument here. I completely agree with you that that was wrong. But what is your standard by which you can say to the man who murdered Heather higher that what you did is wrong? That would apply to him. Let me help a little bit. Do you think it's up to the individual to determine what is right and wrong in their own life? Sorry, give me a second. Sure, you. I'm like passing the. You, you take. I apologize. That's all right. You take all the time you need. Sorry, I space out sometimes. It's bad. Okay, I am still awake. <laughs> I am still alive. You're standing here in the mall, yep. talking to the old guy from Iowa. Yeah. We're in the same world the right now. Is that happening right now, actually, isn't it? I think so, in Des Moines, yeah. yeah. Isn't a real, like, is butter carving a real thing that happens there? I, I believe so. I believe um, so. Yeah, anyway. All right, so... No, 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 but I get... So do you think it's saying, up to the individual to determine what's right and wrong, good and evil? No, but I think okay. that using this particular incident as some sort of way of comparing the two situations... Which two situations? Okay, so we were talking about gay people, right? We were talking about transsexuals and all that happy Okay. Right? And then we start talking about this because you are trying to set up the point that you cannot universally apply anything without some sort of grander force to back it up. Is that correct? Right. An authority that would be that you and I and every other human being would have to be in submission to. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It seems... It seems like not a not a great way to compare the two. Like, okay. yes, this was a tragic accident. Mm-hmm. It happened less than a week ago. Mm-hmm. People are still mourning. Yeah. There are other ways that you can justify that. I'm not dissing right, you let, in any way by saying Let's that. go back to the LBGT community. Let's, okay. let's stay focused then. Okay? So, let's say, well, obviously, since you brought up the subject, right. am I assuming wrongly that you're part of the LGBT community? No. Okay. You could tell by my hair. Well, Come no, on, let's no. be honest. Look, look uh, there, there's a young man um, who came to our church a couple of years ago, and he had blue hair. And it said nothing about his sexuality. Yeah, he had blue hair. I know, but right? I, so I, I, I'm just making it. Okay, okay. I'm all right. So, to, it's my hair. All right. <laughs> so as a member of the LBGT community, right. you would assert, and correct me if I'm wrong, because right. I want to make no assumptions about what you believe. All right. all right? I want to hear what you believe, not what I think you believe. Okay. Okay. I would assume then, as part of that community, you would say that it is okay for the people of that community to determine what their limits are, if any, for lack of a better better word, regarding sexuality. That should be up to the individual. Yes, that should be completely up to the individual. Okay. 
would it would it then be up to me as an individual would it be okay for me as an individual to say and what I'm about to say I do not believe okay it's a hypothetical alright I do not believe this I don't that all homosexuals all members of the LBG community should be stoned to death I don't believe I don't believe it okay and, okay but but what standard would you hold me to that would actually be binding on me to assert that that position is wrong? Well, let's see. Are you still a Christian? I am a Christian. Well, look, regardless of whether or not I particularly believe in your God, if you put faith and power into your God, then you should adhere by his rules. If he says you probably shouldn't stone people to death, I feel like that's a good way to go. You know? You know what was interesting about your answer? What? You appealed to my worldview yes. to give me an answer as to why I should not condemn your worldview. Yes, because that's your worldview, and if you're contradicting your own worldview, then I'm going to call you out on that. Okay. You know, like if there's something in the Bible that says, "Yeah, go read people," then I can't use that as a moral ground to stand on. We might have similar views, but we get them from different places. If I adhe- if I find middle ground between those two, I find uh-huh. no problem with using that so, because it steers somebody in the right direction, closer to their faith and what they believe in. Okay. It's so, so just in, in review, and you okay. let me know if I've misunderstood anything. Okay. okay. The standard by which you would say, Tony, it would be wrong for you to believe that the LGBT community should be stoned to death is because you're a Christian. No, it's because... Because I'm a Christian. If you adhere to the Christian philosophy, let's say that. Uh-huh. Yeah, which I think there is a little bit of a difference to. People can adhide, adhere to a Buddhist philosophy and not be Buddhists because they don't go through those steps or anything. What I'm saying is I would adhere to your ideology, not the fact that you are a Christian, but the fact that you believe what the Bible says. So then, so what if my ideology then comes from Mein Kampf? Is it still okay for me to live by that ideology? Is, would it be good then? Because Mein Kampf, the, the beliefs of Hitler, would assert that not only Jews should die, but everyone who would claim uh, LGBT, which wasn't a term then, but they did not only kill Jews in Nazi Germany. Okay, all right. So if my philosophy was derived from Mein Kampf, then because that's from where I de- derive my personal philosophy, then it would be okay. That's, I'm, I'm okay. okay. So then it would be okay then. No, According- no, because when okay. there's a point in which your ideology is actively harming people, then I stop trying to adhere to your ideology to uh-huh. try to fix the problem, and I start trying okay. to find the flaws in it. But, but what- I don't care what people believe as long as nobody is dying. Okay. That is my limit. Nobody is dying, nobody is being talked down to, and nobody is being hurt. Which is why okay. I cannot condemn you for believing that gay people do terrible sh- okay? You know, just sexuality-wise, all that is off-limits. I can respect that, because you love and care for people, and that's all, you know, that really matters. But the fact of the matter is, is that when I was younger, I heard so much right? Most people who are in the LGBT community do. It leaves a mark, and when you say something like that, they're going to be immediately on attack because that's where it starts. That's where it always starts. That's where, oh, you know, I tolerate people, but I don't like what they do. Then they have a gay kid, and that kid ends up being thrown out at 15. That's the sort of 
that just sometimes happens and I don't like it and I like to stay away from it as much as possible because the psychological effect that that has on somebody it doesn't matter whether or not you're coming from a place or of love or hate it will put them in fear because those same words have been used before by people who have okay. so why is it wrong I agree with you it's wrong to hurt people I, never I agree said it was with wrong I said I didn't agree with it oh okay is it is it wrong what to Sexual hurt people? Obedience? No. Oh, to hurt is it wrong to hurt people? Is it wrong to cast people aside? Is it wrong to... I mean, is it wrong? I believe so. What, what you just described to me. Right. The, 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 the things that you just described to me, which I would guess on some level you experienced some of those things. I never got kicked out. Okay. But you probably expressed to me without pointing to yourself some of your own experience. I went to an Episcopalian school for a year and that's all you need to know. Okay. Okay. So, so why is it wrong? What, hurting people? Yeah, I'm not arguing that it's not wrong. I'm asking you why it's wrong. Because I agree it's wrong to hurt people. If you have any respect for the human race and yourself as a human being, you should never belittle another one. Okay. And again, we come back to why. See, the... Respect. Okay. And I'm not trying to frustrate you and I'm not playing games with you. Okay. But this is the... Fine, I'm just hungry. Okay. Uh, you want to get something to eat? Um, I mean, I already ate, but I'll gladly get you something to eat if you uh, want something. No, nah, it's fine. I sure? Yeah. Okay. No, All right. Cool. Okay. Uh, so so what, we're, what we're experiencing right now is that infinite regress we talked about a couple of minutes ago. Because your worldview is without God, you have to answer A with B. You have to answer B with C. And each time you do that... You're answering based on your own opinion, based on your own experiences, but not based on an authority that obligates me to join you in that, right? And so what I'm saying is, is that the God that you and I both know, the God who created us, has given us a conscience to know the difference between right and wrong. You and I know it's wrong to hurt people, not because we've experienced hurt, not because uh, our parents said it was wrong to hurt people, because maybe, maybe someone has parents who hurt them, right? So, so they didn't learn it's wrong to hurt people from hurtful parents, right? We don't, learn, we don't learn that it's wrong to hurt people from society. Look what society did. Even if, it's, even if it's a wretched, putrid, vomitous section of society that did it, we can't remove them from society in a sense, in our thinking, simply because they're an aspect of society we don't like, right? right? Okay? So, with a, with a worldview without God, you're left only to your own emotion and opinion and subjectivity. But when you, one moment, but when you submit to the God you know, and you begin with the presupposition that God is and he has written his law in our heart, right. we all know it's wrong to hurt people for the same reason. Right. Because the God who created us is not a murderer at heart. We know it's wrong to harbor bitterness or resentment in our heart because the God who made us is not a murderer at heart. We know it's wrong to steal right. for the same reason because the God who created us is not a thief. And with love and respect for you, you know as I do 
that sexual immorality of any kind is wrong because we were created in the image of God and the God who created us is not sexually immoral. He's faithful. Right. And here's the thing that, I'm, that I was raising my hand for. Sure. I think the thing that you're missing about me okay. is I believe in something, some greater force of the universe mm -hmm. that adheres by many of the same rules that God does, right? Even if I don't call that God, I still have some sort of grand faith that follows the same thing but on another name. Mm. Is that any less valid than your God? Well, according to God. And it's not my God. It's the God you and I right. will stand before. But to him it is. He refers to what you just described as idolatry. You've fashioned a God in your mind that you're comfortable with. A God that will denounce the sins you hate, but a God that will appease and support the sins you love. And that God will not send you to hell. Won't. But sadly... That God also cannot forgive your sin and reconcile you to himself for the same reason. Because he doesn't exist outside of your mind. Look, I know for a fact that I am a sinner. I know for a fact Me too. that I am going to hell. Not and necessarily. I, and I am fine with that. Why? Because I'm not. Because I love... Look, you and I have never met. You and I may never see each other again past this day. But I want to assure you that I love you as my neighbor. And I appreciate that, and I to you. But what I'm saying is, if I believed in God, I would have no fear of sinning, not because I knew that he would forgive me, but because I am an immoral person. I have always been that way. I'm a kleptomaniac, I'm a I do stupid and I smoke like a freight train. You know, I'm okay with that. I am okay with the sins I've committed and I'm prepared to be judged, however that may be, by a God that I believe in or don't believe in. Because whatever that is, I've earned in my actions what I get. I don't need to be forgiven for the horrors that I've done, however minor they may be, just as nobody else does. Is that loving of you? Of myself? No, loving of the God who made you. I thought I talked to God once, he seemed pretty chill, but the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it, it just doesn't matter to me. I'm I understand. Okay. Whatever I do, I will do very, very well knowing the consequences of which, and if some point I change my mind, I know that God will respect me for that. And that's what I've always thought, and that's what I'm sticking to. Okay. Even if it's not true. Even if it's not true. Okay. Ignorance is bliss. Well, well, for a season, for a moment. And perhaps that's just that season for me. Perhaps it's not. Yeah. We'll see. As we will see all other things in time. You know, it's just, as of right now, it doesn't matter to me. Okay. Well, when I'm older, maybe it will. And you know what? I can't make it matter to you. Right? Right. Because salvation, what we're ultimately talking about, forgiveness of sin, is of the Lord. Right? There's only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one who's able to save and destroy. And it's not a 53-year-old guy named Tony. It's God Almighty. I'm not your judge. But if I love you as my neighbor, I'm going to warn you if you're in danger. And I appreciate that. But I don't want to leave you with just a warning. I want to give you hope. And I, and I believe there's hope for you. And that's, and that's not patronizing. And it's not because I pity you. I believe there's hope for you because you're a fellow human being and I want there to be hope for you.
not saying there isn't, but I'm saying that when that hope happens, it will be something that I have earned and it'll be something that I have found on my own. And while you may factor into that, in the end, it happens in my own time because I have to decide that for myself. But the beautiful thing about the hope that I want to offer you has nothing to do with you earning anything. That's man-made religion. Man-made religion says that you have to measure up or there's no hope for you. What Christian, true Christianity says is that, look, there's no hope for you or me in and of ourselves. That there's nothing we could do to earn God's love. That all we can do is earn His wrath for the times that we've sinned against Him. But the good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save people like you and me. Not the self-righteous who think they have it all together, but those who know they're sinners. As God in the flesh, He lived a perfect life that you and I cannot live. And then He voluntarily went to a Roman cross to die a death He did not deserve, to take upon Himself the punishment human beings like you and like me rightly deserve. And then he forever defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. And where the hope is, my friend, is that if you believe by faith in what Christ did on that cross, that God promises that he would take your heart, my heart of stone that's at enmity with him, that would, would, would create a replacement for him in our mind. He'll take out of our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh one that loves the things that God loves and one that hates the things that God hates, not hating another human being, but hating our own sin and wanting to do that which is pleasing to God, not because he's a corrupt, wicked father who doesn't give his child unconditional love, but because he is a loving father and we want to do that which pleases him, not to keep him, not to keep him happy, per se, not to keep him from punishing us, and not to get him to love us more, but because the love he has for us already is perfect. And he has shown that love by allowing his son to die on behalf of sinners like us. That's good news. That's where the hope is. That's where peace is. Because while you may express contentment in the way you have determined to live your life, whatever that is, there really is no peace there. There's pain there. There's self-inflicted pain there. And I'm offering you, not as a salesman, but as a friend, I'm offering you a way out of that hurt and that pain. Sir? Yes, because while, while my sins may not be the same as yours, I lived half my life thinking I was right with God, creating a God in my imagination to suit myself, and I thought God was okay with me beating inmates in the county jail as a deputy sheriff. You were a deputy sheriff? Yeah. For 20 years. Wow. I retired about 10 years ago. Oh, that's good. But God didn't leave me in that place. He took my heart of stone that thought that I was good and everyone else was bad. He took my heart of stone that, that led me to believe that because I sang in a choir on Sunday, I could go and do whatever it on uh, Monday through Saturday. And he gave me a heart of flesh to realize that compared to the holy God of the universe, I'm not good. I'm a sinner. And I need his grace. And I need his mercy. And his love isn't capricious like some angry father who's just waiting to beat you 
unless you do A, B, C, D, E, and F. He's a loving Father who loves us not just as we are, but in spite of who we are, and changes us so that we can have that reconciled, loving relationship with Him. That, yeah. You offered your hope when you talked to me. I appreciate it. And perhaps one day we will find each other in this position again. Well, my, my hope is that one day you and I will be worshiping God around His throne, hand in hand, arm in arm, loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and enjoying that for all eternity. That's my hope. Well, look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for your time. Have a good day, sir. God bless you. And, um, be safe. You too. You too. conversation with Jenkins. I hope uh, it was encouraging to you. I hope maybe you might learn something from that conversation. Maybe there's uh, something you could take from the conversation I had with Jenkins and apply it in your own evangelistic efforts. I hope so. I've thought about Jenkins over the last few years from time to time, as I do with many of the people I communicate the gospel to, and my thoughts of Jenkins are the same as my thoughts of others. I wonder if the Lord has saved her. I wonder if she is now born again. I wonder if she has left that self-destructive LGBTQ lifestyle and is now living for God's glory through faith in Jesus Christ. That's my hope. My hope is that one day I will see Jenkins in heaven. Now, I started my conversation with Jenkins the way I start most of my conversations, and that's with a simple question. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Do you have any particular spiritual beliefs? I find that is a, a simple, uh, not too hard-hitting, uh, easy question to get the conversation rolling, at least uh, the spiritual aspects of the conversation, to get that rolling, to get the person talking, so that I can learn about the person who's standing in front of me. And... What Jenkins said, I've, I've heard expressed differently before, but what Jenkins said was, I believe there is something, but nobody knows what it is. And, and again, I hear that quite often uh, from people. They believe that there's something, they say, but nobody can know. See, and the reason they say that, the reason they say that nobody can know is that way nobody can challenge them. If nobody knows anything for certain, then nobody can challenge their uncertainty. Well, that is an exercise in absurdity, because by making the assertion that nobody can know, the person making that assertion is saying, I know. You know, sometimes I'll ask a person, well, can you know anything for certain? And oftentimes they will, you know, enthusiastically say, no. And then I'll ask, do you know that? And then they'll say, well, yes. So, <laughs> so you can know things for certain. And again, this is 
part of what happens when you engage people in conversations who are trying to adhere to a godless worldview. They are quickly relegated to absurdity. Uh, they insist that they can't know anything and they're making a truth claim by saying that they can't know anything for certain. And it's good to point that out. Uh, because again, in presuppositional apologetics, uh, what you're doing in part is you're dismantling, you're deconstructing the worldview of the person in front of you. Now, you want to do that with care. Uh, you you want to do that with compassion. The last thing you want to do is dismantle someone's worldview and leave them there in a pile of rubble. And I've seen that happen. Uh, I've seen Christians who... Uh, latch on to presuppositional apologetics, which I believe is the most biblical form of apologetics. Uh, they'll latch on to this presuppositional apologetic. They'll see the power in it. Uh, they'll see with, at times, what ease they, uh, they can dismantle someone's argument. And sometimes uh, they enjoy that too much. And they will spend all of their time trying to dismantle someone's worldview and forget or not even consider getting to the gospel. Again, this is a human being standing in front of you. This is a person who will one day stand before God to give an account for their lives. You have to love them enough to speak the truth to them in love. And we should never stop with simply dismantling their worldview. We should never stop with leaving the person thinking, I live in total absurdity. We want them to understand that. We want them to realize that. But we want to bring them hope. We don't want to leave them in a pile of intellectual and spiritual rubble. We want to take apart that worldview, do it with love and compassion, and then we want to rebuild that worldview with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the truth of God's word. Jenkins also asserted that she was a spiritual person. Now, we didn't spend a lot of time getting into that, but, but that is something else that is very common. See, every human being knows that God exists. That is a presupposition. Romans chapter 1 uh, verses 18 through 32 makes it abundantly clear that every human being knows that God exists. There are no atheists. There are no skeptics. There are no agnostics. There are simply people who deny the truth about the God they know. They suppress that truth by their unrighteousness and professing themselves to be wise with this godless worldview. They literally render themselves fools. They live in a world of absurdity. Well, actually, I take that back. They don't actually live in that world of absurdity. They try to justify a godless worldview with absurdity. Um, but again, they know that God exists. They know that they were created in the image of God. They know that God has written his law on their heart and has given them a conscience. They know this, but their hatred for God is such, and their love for self really is such that they will deny the truth they know about God because they do not want to submit 
to his authority. So in that, I asked uh, Jenkins uh, a question that you've heard me ask before. You will hear me ask it often. I asked Jenkins, what's more important, what we believe or whether or not what we believe is true? And wanting to be the authority in her own life, uh, as almost every other person I talk to uh, does, Jenkins said, well, what's more important is what we believe. Because by asserting that, Jenkins is saying that I am the authority. What's important is what I believe, not whether or not what I believe is true. But again, the the thing about this, it, this, this attempt at a godless worldview is that it renders them to a place of absurdity and utterly uh, living hypocritically. They're a walking contradiction because they don't live according to their worldview. They live according to yours and mine. They live according to the worldview of the Christian while trying to deny the God who gave them that worldview. And so I, as I often do, I will share uh, some analogies to show, quickly show the person in front of me that uh, what matters most isn't what we believe but whether or not what we believe is true. And one of the analogies I'll often use is going into the bank uh, to try to withdraw a million dollars from my account. And the teller said, I think uh, in this case, I, the teller told me, well, no, Mr. Mianu, you have 35 cents in your account. You don't have a million dollars. And uh, I asked Jenkins, uh, does it matter that I believe I have a million dollars in my account? No, it doesn't. What matters is what's actually in my account. No matter how much I believe I have a million dollars, if I only have 35 cents, uh, the teller is not going to give me a million dollars. And so then after that, I asked Jenkins, well, how do we determine what is true? And Jenkins relied on her senses, uh, what she sees, what she perceives, and then she said something that I, I don't know if I've heard before or since, but she said she determines what's true based on what she appreciates above all else, what she appreciates. And I thought that was very honest uh, of Jenkins. Uh, she determines truth by what she likes. And that's how she justifies her own sin. That's how Anyone justifies their own sin. They, um, they determine that uh, what is true for them is what they enjoy and what they like. What, what uh, uh, They'll judge others based on what they enjoy and, and what they like. Not based on truth, but based on their own perceptions. Based on what they appreciate. Ultimately, based on what they love. Uh, namely, themselves. And then I asked uh, Jenkins how she knew if her reasoning was valid, because by saying that she determines truth by what she sees, by what she perceives, uh, by what she appreciates, she's appealing to her own reasoning. And so when I asked her how she knows that her reasoning is valid, uh, she gave a very common answer, one that again points to the absurdity of her worldview, her attempt to live without God, she says, I don't. I don't know if my reasoning is valid. And so yet she's reasoning, and I I 
made that clear to her that I thought she was an intelligent person and I was having a reasonable conversation with her. You know, I wasn't in any way trying to insult her, but wanting to make it very clear to her the absurdity of her worldview. She's saying that she has no idea whether or not her reasoning is valid while she's relying on all of her reasoning to determine what's true for her. And then that took us to a, a conversation about something called infinite regress. Have you ever heard that term before? Well, an infinite regress is a sequence of reasoning or justification which can never come to an end. And uh, I explained that in the simplest way I could to Jenkins. Basically, an infinite regress looks like this. I believe A because of B. Well, why do I believe B? Well, I believe B because of C. And why do I believe C? Well, I believe C because of D. And because I am using that sequence of reasoning, it is a train that I can never get off. I can never get to the point where I ultimately know something for certain. But if you begin where every human being should, with the presupposition that God is, and that the God who created us has given us the ability to reason and the ability to know things for certain. Well, Tony, how do you know that God exists? Well, God has testified to his existence in his word. He's testified to his existence through creation. And he is, and he is testified uh, to me in my own heart by regenerating me, by causing me to be born again, and by giving me the ability to reason. And that's how you get off that infinite regress. Uh, it, it's, not, uh, it's not a game. It's not simply a, 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 a tactic. It's the reality that we do know things for certain because the God who created us is the God of all knowledge, the God of certainty, who has given the pinnacle of his creation human beings, those created in his own image, image bearers of our creator, he has given us the ability to reason and the ability to know for certain. And it was about then that, that Jenkins asked me a question regarding my beliefs about the LGBTQ community. Now, this is often a defensive tactic. Uh, it, this is often a way that uh, those practicing sexual immorality of these kinds or any kind uh, will get out of the conversation because they know they're expecting you to say that, well, homosexuality is a sin. And it is. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying that. I've said that many times. I agree with God's word. God's word calls all forms of sexual immorality, whether, whether heterosexual or homosexual or any other kind, he calls those sin. Uh, that is a clear and concise and truthful answer that we should never be afraid to give. For reasons to this day unknown to me, I answered differently. I, I said, I'm to love them. And then I went to explain the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. And then I continued the conversation and uh, went into a conversation about authority and who ultimately has authority, the individual or society. 
And one of the things I think you'll notice in my conversation with Jenkins is that I, I didn't spend a lot of time talking about sexual immorality. I didn't spend a lot of time talking about uh, LGBTQ-related issues. I didn't think it was necessary. Uh, I was speaking the truth to Jenkins. Uh, I was showing her the absurdity of her own worldview, her attempt at a godless worldview. And Jenkins already knew that the lifestyle she was engaging in was sinful before the God who created her. Because the God who created her gave her a conscience. She knows the difference between right and wrong. Not because of how, where, when, or by whom she was raised, but because she was created in the image of God. And the God in whose image she was created has written his law on her heart. Now again, there's no reason whatsoever to dodge the topic of sexual immorality. No reason whatsoever to shy away from talking about LGBTQism uh, or anything related to that. Not at all. And what I was doing with Jenkins wasn't a dodge, but keeping the conversation on track, challenging her worldview, uh, making sure she understood the law, and ultimately getting to the gospel. That is, that is the end game of every conversation, is to get to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to communicate the gospel, the gospel that we are not ashamed of as followers of Jesus Christ, and the only power of God for salvation. There's nothing else in the word of God that is talked about in those terms. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the communication of the gospel that God uses to take that regenerated heart uh, and give that person the gifts of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. God is a God of means, and the means by which he saves those he has elected unto salvation and has determined to cause to be born again to a living hope. The means he uses is the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's ultimately where I wanted to get to. Um, Jenkins also asserted that she is not without belief in something. In fact, the entity in which she believes, uh, she said, shares some of the characteristics with the Christian God. Well, that's idolatry, my friends. It's uh, one of the oldest sins in the book, so to speak. She has created a God in her imagination to suit herself. She's taken the aspects of the God she knows, the only true God, the one and only triune God who created Jenkins and the rest of the universe. She's taken the aspects of her creator that she likes and has melded those characteristics together with the God she's created in her mind that likes the characteristics that God would cause, would call sin. And so that's what, that's what she did. Uh, she's created a God in her imagination to suit herself. Jenkins at one point also says that she's fine with going to hell. And, and the reason for that is, as the word of God says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, ultimately there is no fear of God. Uh, she has no fear of God in her eyes. Uh, and ultimately what, uh, what Jenkins was expressing when she says she's fine with going to hell is pride. Uh, 
she's fine with judgment. And I've heard other people uh, express uh, similar things. You know, well, you know what? If I've sinned against God, then I deserve what I'm going to get. And I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to take my punishment and I'm going to go to hell. And they say that as if it's something noble. But there's no nobility in that. There's nothing but sinful pride. And what comes before destruction? Pride. Uh, Jenkins also claimed to be a, a nihilist. A, a nihilist is a person who believes that life is meaningless and rejects all religious and moral principles. Just like there are no atheists, ultimately there are no nihilists either. Uh, because the person who claims to be a nihilist and rejects all religious and moral principles is creating a god in their imagination again to suit themselves, and they're living by moral principles, simply their own. Uh, and so while a person can claim to be a nihilist, the nihilist, just like the atheist, ultimately doesn't exist. Now, the conversation, I could tell the conversation was winding down, I did not want Jenkins walking away without hearing the gospel. And the way I prepared her for that was saying that I wanted to give her hope. Because she was, uh, she was convinced that if, in her mind, if she was going to go to heaven, if she was going to be made right with God, then it had to be something she earned. And I explained to her that it wasn't something she could earn. And that's where the great hope lies, in that you know salvation is a gift from God. And it was at that point I transitioned to the gospel with uh, Jenkins. One of the things I've said to Jenkins, and, and I've said it to many other people over the years, is this. God doesn't love me just the way I am, but in spite of who I am. And he loved me enough to change me. Uh, the, the God that that uh, Jenkins wants or wanted at that moment, the God that people uh, practicing the sins within LGBTQism, the God they want is the God who will accept them and not change them. The God who will ultimately turn a blind eye to their sin or even applaud their sin. But that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God who created us. God is love. He is most certainly a loving merciful and gracious and kind God. And he loves people so much that he loves them in spite of who they are, not because of who they are. Uh, I have the confidence of eternal life, not because of who I am, but in spite of who I am, that the God who created me loved me enough to save me and to change me, to cause me to be born again to a living hope. And that was the hope that I tried to give to Jenkins. Is that the hope you're living with today? Do you have that hope today? That the God who created you uh, loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man and without sin, who lived a perfect life from cradle to grave that you and I are incapable of living, and then died a death he did not deserve on a Roman cross, and then three days later forever defeated sin and death, when he rose from the grave. The word of God says that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if Jesus uh, was not resurrected, then we Christians are the most pitiful people on planet earth. The reality is, though, that he did rise from the dead. He is alive today. He will return at a time of the Father's choosing. 
And so Christians are really the only people on the planet with actual hope. You can have that hope today. If you will but repent and believe the gospel you just heard, you can have real and authentic hope, the kind of hope I tried to give to Jenkins. But it only comes by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Christian, that's the message of hope you have for a lost and dying world. A world that's growing more chaotic, it seems, day by day. And if you're listening and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, humble yourself, turn from your sin, and by faith and by faith alone, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior while God has given you time. All right, well, that's that's about it for this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. Until next time, dear friends, let's go fishing. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. The Street Fishing Podcast and Tony Miano's daily street evangelism efforts are ministries of Grace Fellowship Church in Davenport, Iowa. Grace Fellowship is a Reformed Baptist church that subscribes to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Visit the church's website at gracefellowshipqc.com. That's gracefellowshipqc.com. And for more information about Tony Miano's street evangelism ministry, including books, articles, videos, and audios, visit crossencountersmen.com. That's crossencountersmin.com. Until next time, and until the nets are full, let's go fishing.